We're currently in a series called The Presence, The Power, and the People of God, where we are studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in and through the lives of the believers. Today, the passage we'll hear from is John 16, 4 through 15, if you want to start turning there with me. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. And if you don't, there should be one. Um, You should be able to find a a copy of the scripture in the seat back in front of you. Again, we're going to hear from John chapter 16, verse 4 through 15. And once you arrive there, if you don't mind standing with me for the reading of God's word, if you're able. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the rule over the world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You may be seated. Good evening, Providence. Doing good. Hey, uh, Welcome. If this is your first time, my name is Joseph, and it is a, a joy to gather with you this evening. Before uh, We have a special treat for you this evening in regards to our speaker, but before I do that, if you are a part of our student ministry, uh, you guys can be dismissed at this time. So if your age is fifth grade and up, I believe, uh, then you can go and, and join our student ministry back there for a time of Bible study. So thank you guys. Um, as I said, I, I have a special treat. We have a special treat for you guys this evening. Um, it's not very often that we have folks come in from the outside and deliver God's word word to us as a congregation, but today is one of those days. And uh, the man that we have coming to speak today and to uh, speak from God's word in our current sermon series is a very dear friend of mine. Uh, I have known him for, oh, around about a decade. Does that sound about right? Or maybe longer? Uh, I've known him for quite some time. Uh, he used to be involved in the college ministry that actually Pastor Court and I led together. Uh, he used to come to that. And then whenever uh, some of you know my story, uh, I went from there and planted a church in the urban area of Houston in a neighborhood called the Heights in 2009. And uh, he joined that core team with me and a handful of other people to plant that church. And whenever the Lord called us on in 2013 to another work, he stayed back. And I remember it was probably seven or eight years ago, he and I were sitting at a Starbucks, okay, in Dallas, Texas, at a church planning event, and I looked at him uh, right across the table, and I'm sure he'll never forget this because I'll never forget it. Um, I looked at him right across the table at Starbucks, and uh, he was processing things that he was learning at that time, and I looked at him square in his eyes, and I said, God is going to use you one day to plant a church. 
And uh, I've done that to a few different people. Uh, Pastor Cord is one of them. Uh, and and, and the, the reaction is almost always the same, kind of like, that's great, but are you sure? Like, that's kind of a, a very difficult thing that you're calling out in my life. And uh, I can say seven years later uh, that God is fulfilling um, that that purpose that I saw in him and that many other people have affirmed in him since. And uh, his name is Carlos Rebullar. I say that right? Did I say it with the right accent? He can say it better than I did. It's always one of the, you know, the Caucasian way is Carlos Rebolar. Um, that's a, or Rebolar, anyway. So uh, he, he is now in the process of planting a church called Sojourn East End. And so the church, the cool story is that the church that I planted in the Heights planted a daughter church in 2013 called Sojourn Montrose. And Carlos went to go join that church and he is being planted out of Sojourn Montrose to go plant Sojourn East End. So there's truly a lineage of church planting that's happening whenever he comes up here and speaks today to you guys. And I wanna say that as an encouragement to you because as a church, we seek to be a church planting church. And we have a couple of men that by God's grace, we're gonna be planting in Liberty, Dayton area in the next year or so. And so whenever you get up and you hear from a man that is, that is preparing to plant a church, know that that's very much part of the heart of this church is that we would see more churches planted. And so I'm excited to have him. Uh, he has an incredible testimony. I don't know if I have time to share any of that with you. Of course, he's free to, but he has an incredible testimony, the way the Lord saved him and uh, the way the Lord has used him from a, a street preacher now to a church planner. Um, I'm excited to have Carlos. So Carlos, you can come up here and I'm gonna pray for you, brother, and I'm gonna have our congregation pray for you too. So can you guys give it up for Carlos? As I said, he's planting in, in the east end of downtown Houston. He's planting an urban church, and uh, they're getting ready to launch this fall, correct? Fall, yeah. They're, they're going to launch this fall. And so uh, if you guys have any interest after you hear Carlos speak or anything like that, I'll have him hang around a little while. If you have any interest in ways that you can pray, partner, give to that endeavor, I certainly encourage you to because I know that you'll be sowing good soil. So uh, if you don't mind, would you mind as I pray over him, if you're comfortable extending your hand forward and praying over him with me? Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and we humble ourselves in your sight. God, I am so grateful that you are doing this work in Carlos's life, God. God, that you have called him into a difficult place, into a dark and broken area of our city to bring the light of the gospel there. And Father, I am thankful that you have filled him with your Holy Spirit and you have anointed him for that purpose. God, that you have given him a burden and a desire and the gifts necessary to go and to make the gospel known there. And so we are thankful, Father, for the work that you're doing in his life there. And Father, we are thankful that we get to benefit from the gift that you have given him to edify and equip the church through preaching of the word, through the preaching of the word of God, uh, that we get to benefit from that word here tonight up here in Atascacita. So God, um, pray that you would fill him with your spirit, God, that you would give him great courage, God, that you would give him great conviction and clarity as he delivers your word. Father, that the saints would be edified, that you would be glorified, and that those that are sitting in this room that do not know you and have yet to surrender their lives to you would do so for the very first time through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God. I pray, Lord, that you, you and God, that you would use him uh, to do what I know God, you have prepared those in this room to hear and to experience tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would use him as a vessel of your grace uh, and your glory, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother, love you. 
All right, well, good afternoon. Um, as Pastor Joe said, uh, my name is Carlos Rebollar, so there you go. Um, but I, I admire his ability, or his, at least his intention, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, as he said, I've known Joe and Emily for uh, several years. It's, it's a privilege for me to be here with you guys uh, this afternoon. Uh, to share God's word uh, with you. Uh, and just a little bit more about me and my wife uh, in terms of East End. Yeah, we do look to plant uh, in the fall of this year a uh, soft launch, and then by God's grace in the beginning of the year launch uh, a hard launch. And so we appreciate uh, all of your prayers um, as we seek to plant in an area of town that has been often ignored uh, in the church planting world. And so uh, thank you for that. And I want to pray for us uh, briefly just out of uh, just a desire to, to continue to um, make sure that it is the Lord speaking to us and not, not my own thoughts. And so let me pray for us. Um, once again, Father, we ask you that by the power of your spirit and um, the power of your word, you would open up our eyes to see um, the beauty of Jesus. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So a while back, I, I was watching a, a teaching on the Holy Spirit uh, by a theologian named Sinclair Ferguson. And so uh, he, he painted an illustration and then asked a question uh, that has really stuck with me uh, for, for a few years now. And so I'd like to uh, attempt to illustrate that and then ask you the question that he asked in that, uh, in that lecture as well. And so he uh, illustrates the um, the, the scene here that we find in chapter 16 of, of John. And if you can imagine yourself uh, being one of the disciples uh, on that day in that upper room with Christ as they're sitting around and you, and you kind of feel like something dramatic is about to happen. Right? There's a weightiness in your heart. And then Judas leaves the room and it's, it's as if the spirit of Jesus is lifted and then he, he opens his mouth and he says to you, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away from you, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. So ask yourself, how would you feel hearing Jesus sitting next to him and hearing Jesus say to you, it's to your advantage that I go away? Would you believe that? So I would imagine... Uh, Imagine yourself in that situation and make that decision right here, right now. Which one would you rather have? Jesus Christ in the flesh walking next to you so you can sense his, his tone and you can see his height and his physical features and uh, notice his mannerisms and the grace with which he speaks. Or would you rather have this indwelling Holy Spirit? For many of us Christians, this, this might even sound like a dumb question. I think that many of us might uh, initially, with a knee-jerk response, say, well, I would rather have Jesus walking next to me. Jesus, we understand in his incarnate grace, we read about everything that he did clearly in the Gospels, right? The, the character of the Father we know well as we read through the Old Testament into the New about the character of our loving and good Father, but when we speak about the Holy Spirit, it can be hard for some of us as Christians to understand how Jesus going away could ever be of an advantage 
to us, to them as disciples. So this morning, we're going to dive into this truth that Jesus reveals about the Spirit and figure out why it is an advantage to us that Jesus went away and sent his Spirit. And my hope is that we would all be reinvigorated, recharged with the knowledge of who God the Holy Spirit is for you and for me. And my goal this evening is that as we look to Scripture, the reality and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of his church, in the life of Providence Community Church, would cause us to appreciate God in a deeper, more profound way, and that we would be compelled to plead God for more of his power and more of his work in our daily lives. So let's start by reading verses 4 through 7. Again, I'll read it for you. It says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So to give us a bit of context on where we find ourselves here, we see that Jesus tells his disciples that he did not say these things from the beginning because he was with them. So what is he talking about? What are these things? Well, we, if we go back to John chapter 14, really beginning in verse 15, we see that Jesus begins to encourage his disciples by promising them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He commands them to love one another. He reveals to them that the world would hate them because they hated Jesus first. And he says he's telling them these things that that will happen to them so that they're not caught by surprise. And so that as Christ goes back to be with the Father and they begin to experience suffering, they begin to experience persecution and hatred from the world, they would not believe the lie that Christ has not accomplished what he set out to do so that their faith would be kept. So he tells them that he's going away. And in the midst of him telling them that he's going away, out of his deep care and concern as the good shepherd, he tells them, but I won't leave you alone. The divine helper will come, and it's to your advantage that I go so he could come. And we see that uh, much like we would probably respond as well as we, uh, if we imagine walking with Christ for three years and then Christ looks at us square in the face and says, hey, I have to go now. We would be filled with sorrow as well. So the disciples were, were so focused on the reality that, that Christ had just told them that he would be leaving back to go with the Father Um, that they weren't even worried or focused on asking him, but where are you going? But why do you have to go? Which is why Jesus says, and and you're not even asking me where I'm going. He goes on to say, "It's, it's to your advantage that I go because it is the Spirit who will convict 
the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And it is the spirit that will guide you into all truth. And we might ask, why, why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't he just have had given them the spirit then and there? Well, we know now having the full revelation of the gospel that Christ would go to the cross, die on behalf of sinners like you and me, be punished for the sin that we deserve to be punished for so that he could purchase for us the access to the Spirit. So that the Spirit could come and dwell in us, cleanse us from our filth of our sin and take residence up in our heart. So Jesus, as he was encouraging his disciples, is essentially telling them, hey, I know I just dropped this massive truth bomb on you that I'm about to go back to be with the Father. And I know that I just said that you'll be persecuted and you'll be hated. You'll be pulled, dragged out of synagogues. I know I just said some, uh, some heavy things to you, but take heart because this divine helper will go before you. This divine helper will be the one to do the heavy lifting, to be encouraged. So let's look at this work that the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will do. We see that there's a, a twofold work of the Spirit. First, Jesus says that the Spirit will do a work in the world. And he says that the Spirit will do a work in his disciples. And so let's, let's look at verses 8 through 11 and see what the Spirit uh, is called to do in the world. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We find here, brothers and sisters, a, a beautiful truth that the persecuted the persecuted of the world are promised to be helped by the prosecutor of the world. The persecuted of this world, that being the disciples, will be helped by the prosecutor of the world, the Holy Spirit. Jesus lets his, his disciples in on, on the reality of, of the, this coming hatred that, that I mentioned earlier that they will face on behalf of the world, but then encourages them and lets them know, hey, the, the prosecutor of this world is the one that will go before you. He's the one that will guide you into the world. When, when, when I ascend back into heaven and I commission you to go preach the gospel to all the nations, it is the spirit that will go before you and convict. It is the spirit that will bring the charge of of guilt upon the heart of men, the hearts of men and women. So they can have hope and confidence that no matter the, 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 the hatred that is spewed towards them, it is God the Spirit. It is his job to convict the heart of man. In other words, it's not, it's not up to us, but rather it's up to God to save Sinners, It's up to God to apply the finished work, what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. It's up to the Spirit to apply that to the heart of men, women, and children. Uh, Leslie Newbegin says this when commenting on this passage. He says, 
we see that the spirit is not the domesticated auxiliary of the church or, deme- or, or the domesticated helper of the church. He's the powerful advocate who also goes before the church to bring the world under conviction. In other words, what Newbegin is saying here is that the spirit is not just reserved for the work in the church and through Christians or to bring us to completion, which we'll talk about. Jesus addresses that towards the end of this passage, but, but essentially he's saying, hey, the spirit is also the one that goes before you when you go out into this dark world and face all kinds of hatred as you seek to share the message of the gospel. It is the spirit who prepares the hearts of men, women, and children. It is the spirit who opens the eyes of men, women, and children to receive his word. So we see here in this passage the helper bringing this conviction, revealing guilt to the non-Christian, opening eyes to the reality of sin, the need for Jesus' righteousness, and the fact that the enemy of God's kingdom has already been judged and defeated by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And this afternoon, if you're in this room and you consider yourself a Christian, and that's exactly what took place in your life. That's exactly what took place in my life. You, you didn't turn the corner or uh, you didn't have uh, a better intellectual capacity to receive the word of Christ and then respond with repentance and faith. No, if you heard the gospel at some point in your life and Christ came into your life and changed you, it was because the spirit opened up your eyes to the reality of your sin brought you to a place where you acknowledged your guilt before God and then showed you the fact that you needed the righteousness that you did not have, the righteousness found in Jesus, and then encouraged you by showing you what true and right and completed judgment is by reminding you in this gospel message that Christ has defeated the enemy of our souls. We essentially were God-haters. We were those spewing hatred towards God, and God made us into lovers of Jesus. There can be no, 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 no more intense example than the life of the Apostle Paul here. So conviction comes through the Spirit applying the truth of Scripture, the gospel, to the hearts of men, women, and children. And we're reminded of what Paul writes in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21, Paul says that for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. So conviction bringing, bringing a charge of guilt before us and essentially when he when he when he talks about a conviction for sin that we see here in verse 8 when he says when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me he's exposing the unbelief of the heart 
of man. And then in his conviction of righteousness, he, he, he points to the non-Christian, the non-believer of the fact that they have yet to attain this righteousness that is found in Jesus, that Jesus secured when he went back to the Father. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered for our sin and then raised for our justification. In other words, Jesus was raised to make us right with God, to give us this righteousness that, that we so desperately need. And as I've already stated, the conviction of judgment showing us this right judgment and, 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 and giving us the, um, the confidence in knowing that Christ has already defeated the enemy of God's kingdom. So, so what does this mean for us? What, what does it mean for you today walking out of these doors, going back to work tomorrow? What does that mean? Well, brothers and sisters, it means that we can walk with boldness in our efforts to share the gospel with our neighbors, share the gospel with our family members who hate God or with our coworkers. It means we can walk in confidence knowing uh, what Leslie Newbegin said, that the Spirit goes before us, preparing the hearts of men. It is the Spirit bringing illumination of sin, righteousness, and judgment in the hearts of men, women, and children. And it is the Spirit essentially uh, fulfilling the prophecy that we read about in Ezekiel 36 when he says and prophesies that he will take us from among the nations and gather us from all the countries and bring us into his land. He, he, he will sprinkle clean water on us and, and, and we shall be clean from all of our uncleanliness and from all of our idols. He will cleanse us by his spirit and will give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. He, would, he will remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that now desires to obey God's commandments, desires to love and cherish the Savior. What an encouragement to me that um, as I seek to, to reach hard people, as you seek to reach the hard people in your life, it's not up to you. And I know we hear this and we know this, right? We, we, we know the, the Christian cliche that, well, it's not up to me. I just, I'm just going to share the gospel and it's up to God. It, it's, it's one thing to, to say it. It's one thing to, to know it mentally. It's quite another to know it down here. I know I was found out by this passage when I consider one of, one of my brothers that, that is, it, it hates God. And I believe, I believe that it is the Spirit and the Spirit alone who can open his eyes, but... I find myself thinking at times that it is me, if I just had the right argument or the right uh, way to approach him with the gospel, somehow I can contribute. And it's not to say that we aren't astute or that we aren't uh, 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 try to study the word in such a way that we can present a reasoned argument. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you don't have to carry a weight that the spirit was meant to carry. We have many, uh, unfortunately, uh, bad examples of when, of when people within the church, even ourselves, have fallen into uh, this attempt to try to force 
the gospel down people's throats. And, 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 and to know that the Spirit is the one who does the work gives us rest. It gives us confidence. It gives us boldness to know that we only plant, we only water, but it is the Spirit who gives the growth. It gets better, though, right? Jesus continues to share more uh, of what the Spirit's work will look like on earth and, and moves on to focus on the Spirit's work in the life of his disciples. Let me read verses 12 through 15 for us. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so verse 12 says that, that when the Spirit comes, he'll guide his church. He'll guide his disciples into all the truth. So he, he finishes telling his disciples about the work of the Spirit in the world. He tells his disciples he still has many things to share to them, or to share with them, but that they couldn't bear it at that moment. And he tells them, but the Spirit, when he comes, not only will he lead the charge in evangelism, in the mission of God, but there's some things that I, I can't share with you right now. You can't bear to hear the whole truth. But when the Spirit comes, he will also continue to progressively reveal to you all of the truth about who I am, what I really came to do, and to illuminate the truth of Scripture to you in a way that before, before the Spirit came was impossible. And we see here the same pastoral care that Jesus had in wanting to share with them that, hey, even though you are uh, going to get persecuted, you, you will be hated, but take heart, the Spirit is coming. That same pastoral care that compelled him to, to, to encourage them with that truth is the same pastoral care that he has in telling them, hey, I can't tell you everything right now. You can't bear it. Now, remember, they're full of sorrow right now, trying to process and digest the, the reality that Christ is leaving them. He promised them that he would send his spirit instead to gradually continue to reveal the truth that Jesus wanted them to know through his scripture. Essentially, he would go on to buy his spirit, right? Um, open up the eyes of Peter when he preached in Acts 2, preaching the fulfillment of um, God's prophecy of the spirit falling down on the church and, and, and initially uh, initiating the church age. The spirit would guide him to eventually go and be martyred, right? And he did this with all of his disciples and he does that to us today, he continues to show us more and more of who he is as revealed in his word. What a grace. What a grace that he, he continually 
gives us more and more clarity and revealing different layers of, of, of truth in his scripture about his beauty. See, if, if it was just, uh, if coming to Christ, if being saved was all that we needed or it was all that we had, uh, then we'd be in a bad place. Because we all know in here, if you are a Christian, that Christ saving you and bringing you into his people didn't fix all your problems, right? It didn't remove every need for sanctification. If anything, it revealed even more. And as you grow as a Christian, you find time and time again things that you thought you uh, maybe were mature in, Christ begins to show you through his spirit in a, in a gentle and loving way. Hey, maybe, maybe you have more room to grow here than what you thought, right? What a, what a grace that the Spirit is now leading us in that way as he dwells inside of us. Imagine being one of those disciples again in that room and hearing Jesus say, I'm going away, but the Spirit is coming. But, but take heart, the Spirit will convict the hearts of those people who hate you. And, and I'll also lead you through my Spirit and, and reveal all the truth to you that you can't bear right now. Imagine them thinking, well, what if... But you won't be here, Jesus. How do I know that this spirit is really going to tell me what you want me to know? It's as, if, it's as if Jesus is responding to a question that he maybe thought that they would ask. And so he, he confirms and he reminds them of the beautiful nature of who God is, of the nature of the Godhead. He reminds them that, that the spirit will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to them all the things that are to come, the, the full revelation of the gospel message. And then he says that he will glorify Jesus, the Spirit. And he will take what is, what is Jesus, what belongs to Jesus, and declare it to his disciples. And then Jesus finishes off by saying, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus, to comfort them and to assure them, hey, this spirit is speaking on behalf of me. And by the way, remember, the Father has given everything into my hand. So the spirit speaking through scripture is God speaking to you. It's me speaking to you. What a powerful and, and kind of multifaceted truth that the, that the spirit does in transforming us who once were God haters into lovers of God, calling his disciples back into this world on mission with the, with the encouragement that the Spirit goes before them and encouraging them that he won't leave them as orphans, but that the Spirit will guide and lead into all truth. When Jesus says that the Spirit will reveal the truth to us. We know he's talking about the spirit revealing truth rooted in scripture, right? I know that um, there can be a, a temptation to look at this verse and say, well, okay, well then I guess it's just me and Jesus. 
I just let the Spirit guide me. I don't need anyone to, to speak truth or anyone to speak words of advice or wisdom into my life because, hey, this is what I feel the Spirit is calling me to do. And that can lead us into very dangerous territory, right? We can essentially be using the, 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 the cliche that our culture says often, uh, follow your heart and just kind of dress it up in Christianese language. And say, well, I'm just following the Spirit, what the Spirit told me. So how do we know when it is the Spirit leading us into truth? What what are some guardrails, right, that tell us, hey, this is really the Spirit. This is how God, uh, Jesus, has um, sent his Spirit to guide us. Well, we know that um, Jesus sends his Spirit to guide us into all truth that is always rooted in the truth of Scripture, and he does this through our personal study time in the word. He does it through sitting under the, the sound proclamation or the sound preaching of the gospel under the authority of elders that God has established in local churches. And then he does it, this is often the hardest one for us to, to, to take in, he often does it through spoken truth and community. Through your brother and your sister in your home group that says, hey, let me pull you to the side. I've been seeing this pattern in your life, and I, I believe the Lord wants you to address that. Or sometimes someone may pull you aside for a word of encouragement. God has given us the power that, that he possesses through the Spirit filling and indwelling us so that we could be people who, though at times uh, persecuted or, or slandered, know that the Spirit is ultimately going to bring about the promise that Jesus made, that he will complete the work that he started in us, as Paul said. This is for the ultimate purpose, him guiding us into truth. It's for the ultimate purpose of making us more like Jesus. Not to take upon ourselves a, um, a, a new uh, uh, random or, uh, at a loss for, for the word, but a spontaneous move to the other side of the world because we feel like the Spirit has called us to randomly pick up and leave. No, the Spirit's work in leading us into truth is always for our growth. It's always for our sanctification. So how do we receive this? How do we, how do we posture ourselves to be led by the spirit of truth? As I've stated already, it's through the study of scripture, sitting under the preached word, truth spoken in community. We posture ourselves humbly before the study of scripture when we sit to read and to study, knowing that the spirit applies the word to our hearts and transforms us through it. We posture ourselves humbly under the priest's word of God, knowing that if the preacher is rightly dividing the word of truth, then it's as if God was speaking to us through a feeble man. And lastly, we posture ourselves humbly before our brothers and sisters in community, knowing God has chosen community as one of the key ways we are encouraged and exhorted, even rebuked when necessary. The power of the Spirit, 
What a, what a grace that God has given us access to that. And since this is the divine work of the Spirit in us, this means we have nothing to fear, brothers and sisters. Whether in our evangelism, in our mission, or whether in our growth in sanctification, it means that there is nothing ugly in your life right now that is too ugly for you to not face and deal with. If, if, we, if we get this truth, we will be characterized by the joy that the Spirit promises and the power that the Spirit fills us with. Let's pray. Father, we can do nothing apart from you. Your word reminds us, God, that unless we're connected to the vine, uh, we can bear no fruit. And we thank you that the Spirit you, Holy Spirit, you've filled us, your church, with power to be your witnesses and with the power to fight our sin, with the power to be led by your truth in the context of community and grow into the fullness of who you've called us to be, to become more like Christ. So we pray that you do this for us this, this evening. We pray that you continue doing that and we know that you've promised that you will you will not forsake the work of your hands and in that we can be confident we pray this in Christ's name Amen